to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. And there was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Would you pray with me? Let's ask the Spirit for his help. Lord, we, we find ourselves in uh, a day where it is easy for us to grumble and complain. It is easy for us to find ourselves perplexed about what we see and hear. It's easy for us to, to be confused by all that is going on. It's easy for us to give in to our attitudes of pride and selfishness. But Lord, this we know. You are seated on your throne, not merely watching, but ruling and reigning. You have ordained all things to be, and indeed, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you are carrying this universe to its intended purposes. In this we take great joy, we derive much confidence, and we rest. For our Savior, our Savior has secured us, even man. And then in verses 13 through 16, we get another story that is about a powerful uh, but lonely king. And sandwiched in between these two short but powerful stories is a proverb that, that is probably familiar to most here. But this proverb captures the lesson of both these bookend stories. You'll notice in verse 9, and this is the proverb, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. In other words, no matter how much money you have, no matter how powerful you are, living life under the sun, solo, is a miserable and meaningless life. As the preacher says in verse 16, it's a vain striving after the wind. But we are provided another way in between these two anecdotal stories. There is another way that the preacher puts forward. It is a way that is ordained by God. It is a way that has been designed by God. And it is a way that has even been modeled and patterned by the triune God. And that is 
relationship. Two are better than one. And this is not merely a catchy slogan. This is not merely a a pithy sales pitch. This is God's wisdom for us. This idea of plurality in relationship, this is God's wisdom for us. And so as we look at this text, one of the things we will walk away with is we should not be attempting life alone. Why? Not just because it doesn't work, we're not pragmatists, but because it is not God's design for his people. We were reminiscing this last night with Lynn and Terry, and it was amazing how many friendships we have in common because of their history, long time in sovereign grace, but as well their their history in uh, Arizona. And so we had a lot of names, people that have been precious to Don and I, people that were precious to Terry and Lynn over the years. And, and one of the effects of that conversation is that I, I, we, we left and we headed off to our own quarters last night. And I found myself turning in for the evening with a fresh gratitude for the relationships that God has given myself, my wife, and my family. And I was reminded of this proverb. I was reminded of the lesson that is here for us. God's design is that we do not go at this. How God has designed the Christian life to be lived in relationship is that two are better than one because of God's design and sanctification. Notice back in verse 9 what the preacher says. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Now verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. A common danger traveling in the Middle East was that there were bitumen pits everywhere. Do you know what a bitumen pit is? A bitumen pit is just a tar pit. In fact, I think you guys have some. I looked it up here in L.A., right? Uh, You guys actually have some. But in the Middle East, these were giant tar pits. Uh, You can go and read in Genesis when when Abraham had to save Lot. uh, Many of the the, uh, soldiers, they fell into these bitumen pits. Um, If you fell into a bitumen pit, there was no guarantee that you were going to get out alive. In fact, you had better hope that you had a companion, that you had someone traveling with you that could help you get out of that bitumen pit. Now, the point for us here this evening is not to follow the, 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 the buddy system because you never know when you might fall into a bitumen pit. The point is, is that each one of us needs friends. Each one of us needs relationships where you have someone who will help you when you fall, who will help you, who will graciously correct you and and humbly admonish you when you fall into sin. Sin is a little bit like a tar pit, isn't it? It's easy to fall into and it can be really hard to get out of. And if you're like me, oftentimes I need somebody with me. It begins with my wife, Donna. But I need others as well who can help me in that moment when I have fallen into my sin 
and who will help me when I'm not seeing things correctly. We see this. This is reflected throughout Scripture, isn't it? You can go to 2 Samuel and you realize that David needed what? He needed a Nathan to help, his, to help him see the sin that he had given himself to. When you go to Matthew 18, we, we are reminded that, that, that we need each other. When you see a brother caught in a sin, you go to very inopportune time. It was the Lord at work, but I was mad at my wife, Donna. We were in a conflict. I was not happy. He knocked on the door and caught us in it. And I remember him taking me outside, and we sat on the back bumper of his vehicle. And I had some really ridiculous excuse. I think I said something like, you know, I think sometimes, sometimes I just, Donna doesn't get it. And I just, I, if I get harsh with her a little bit, if I get a little forceful, I, sometimes she starts to come out of it and she gets it. You know what my buddy said to me? Sounds good. Show me where that, show me where scripture says there's ever a reason to be harsh with your wife. Of course, I couldn't do that. And he immediately began to help me understand what was going on in my heart. And God used him just sitting on the bumper of a car, this dear friend to help me see where my heart was off. I think, I think it led to repentance, didn't it, Donna? I, don't, I can't remember. But listen, we, we are ultimately dependent upon the Spirit for our sanctification. Let's not make any mistake. The Spirit of God sanctifies His people. But in our sanctification, God has made us dependent upon one another as an expression of our dependence upon the Spirit. And He uses our relationships as instruments to help us grow in our love for Christ and to overcome the sin in our lives. See, two, two are better than one because if one falls, there is one there to help him or her out of their sin. That's the first thing that we see here about why these redemptive relationships are so important. The second thing that we see is that two are better than one because of God's dispensation of grace. Look at verse 11 with me. He gives us another illustration of the proverb in verse 9. He says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one, uh, 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 a time of coldness, spiritual coldness, suddenly you, you you say, am I growing cold toward the Lord? Who here has experienced a time where you lose sight of God's promises? You, you lose sight of God's presence. Maybe that's right now with all the noise and all the inconvenience and everything going on. And we can't really make sense of it. And where is all of this going it's easy to, to grow cold and toward the Lord, to, to doubt his character, to doubt his power in your life. I think we've all experienced that, and maybe you are there today. Listen, you know 
that, that when that happens, it's like a spiritual hypothermia, right? Your heart grows cold toward the Lord. And it's in those moments that Christ-centered relationships are critical because God loves to dispense his grace toward his people through the encouragement and comfort of others. There is a spiritual warmth that God desires for us to experience through our relationships. Just think about the writer of Hebrews. Remember, the writer of Hebrews is addressing a discouraged and disillusioned group of Christians. In chapter 10, verse 24, he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting meeting together, but as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day coming. That was a different time. That was a different culture. But what's the same? God dispenses his grace through Christ-centered relationship. The writer of Hebrews is writing, they writing to believers who are growing cold. They need the cloak of the gospel put back over their shoulders. Relationships as conduits of his grace in our time of need. See, two are better than one because God loves to pour his grace out on you through others. The third thing that we see here is that two are better than one because of God's duty in, preserv- in, in, uh, in perseverance, or you might say in preservation. Notice verse 12. It says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, Two will withstand him. In his third and final illustration, the preacher gives us a picture of a man being attacked. When you traveled alone in the Middle East, or you just traveled, period, in the Middle East, uh, you were away from the safety of towns and cities. You were subject to marauders, robbers, wild animals. It It was a dangerous thing to be traveling in the Middle East Alone, You didn't roam the countryside on your own because you immediately became a target. Here the preacher reminds us that there is safety in numbers. But the point here again is not physical safety. It's a spiritual safety. This is not just another traveling tip. This is a spiritual principle for us. This world, as a Christian, you know, this world is filled with hostile forces that Satan loves to employ. The Apostle Peter reminds us that that, that though Satan has no sway over us ultimately, he is out there praying like a lion. He is looking to devour those that he can devour. Like young Christians heading off to the university into a very hostile world. 
If you are in the university, if you are heading off to the university, I, I humbly submit to you. You need to have friends around you, beginning with this group, opposed to who we are and why we get out of bed every morning as Christians. Those of us who allow our doctrine to bend to our circumstances. Do you know what I mean by that? I've had moments in my life where suddenly my doctrine, I had a doctrinal shift. Because what I had believed in the past didn't really fit was I, what I was experiencing in the present. And so I can twist my doctrine to meet my needs in the moment. And when that happens, I need somebody who can come alongside me and say, no, 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 Derek, you're not, you're not seeing truth clearly. I actually had that. Just became a Christian. I was going through a difficult time at work, and I sat in a community group, and I was silent, and I'm never silent. Ask my wife. I'm always talking. And I sat there for numerous community groups, and finally... My leader asked me why I was so quiet. And I quoted Psalm 46. I just feel like the Lord's been telling me lately I need to be still and know that he is God. Boy, he called me on that quick. He said, yeah, I don't think that's what that means. (laughs) I don't think that's how you apply that. But I was bending my doctrine. I was bending truth to kind of fit and meet me where I was at. And I needed a friend to help me persevere in truth. I remember uh, uh, having a, a buddy who had gotten wrapped up with the Jehovah Witnesses. I remember coming to the church and seeing a men's group in one of the back rooms huddled around this guy. And I didn't know what was going on. And I asked him and they, and they said, yeah, he has been going down to the kingdom hall. And he is starting to believe what they are telling him. He is beginning to turn away from the truth of Scripture. And here is his men's group huddled around him, opening up the Word of God, showing him where he is getting off, showing him where he is confusing truth with lies, showing him where he is twisting truth, where he is believing untruths. That guy's in the church today. He's a community group leader. He's one of the... One of the soundest guys in our church. But you know what? He had a group. He had a relationship with men who in his moment of need, they came alongside of him. And God used that group of friends to help him persevere in truth. Listen, God uses Christ-centered relationships to, to preserve us, to help us stand in the faith. To, to, to help us stand in the truth in the midst of spiritual assaults, whether that's at the university or in the high school or in the neighborhood or in the workplace or it's in the church, broken. Now, it's doubtful that the preacher is thinking about Christ here. I think he's thinking about plurality here. But on this side of Calvary, on this side of the cross, 
we know something that the preacher, in all his wisdom, in all his knowledge, in all his ability to articulate profound truths and facts about humanity and life, we know something that he didn't know at the heart of every Christian relationship. There is a third person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. And so if you don't know this friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ this evening, if you have never recognized him and repented of your sin, if you do not know him as a friend, if you do not know him as your Savior, and you need a Savior because like everybody who has been saved by grace, you are a Sinner, that's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says that all have, fall, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one has a chance from the moment that they are conceived. We need a Savior. We need, you need, Jesus. And tonight... That's where this begins for you. The title of this sermon is Redemptive Relationships. And for you, that redemptive relationship begins with the only one who can redeem you from the pit that you are in. The only one who can remove your sin because he knew no sin. And though he knew no sin, yet he died for where. This is the one relationship that you must have, that you must experience. And the scripture says it comes, it comes as we recognize ourselves as sinners, repent, and place our faith, all our trust, lean wholly on the person and work of Jesus Christ. You don't need to dress up. You don't need to learn to talk a certain way. You don't need to figure out how to do life a certain way before he will receive you. He says, no, you're a sinner and I'm a savior. I receive you. Come to me and believe in me and believe that God, my father, will have mercy on you as you bow your heart to me. Because I'll tell you what, there is coming a day that you don't want to stand apart from this friend, that you don't want to stand solo. <laughs> we can't even begin to fathom what it will be like, and I don't know when it will come. But there's a day of judgment where every human being will stand before a holy God and give an account. And if you want to go solo, you want to talk about vain striving? <laughs> if you stand solo on that day, not in relationship with Jesus. I can't even begin to tell you. If in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus stared into the cup of God's wrath, he was driven to the ground in agony and anguish, you can't even begin to imagine what it will be like for the one who stands solo before God above. So I just appeal to you, don't leave here. Engage with God. Talk to somebody after this service. To my fellow Christian, 
This is just one reason the church, with all her imperfections, and the church is so imperfect, because you and I are part of it, because we make it up. But this is just one reason that, that the church is so central to the Christian life, because the church is, you are, we are a community made up of Christocentric, faith-filled, faithful relationships. The church is, is friends who grow in God's wisdom together, friends who grow in, in God's word together, friends who live at the feet of Jesus together, friends who are growing in holiness together, friends who serve together. That's the church. Serving our Savior together, growing in, in our love for the Savior together, fighting our sin together, learning correct doctrine and being corrected in our wrong doctrine together with one another. That's the church. And so an appropriate response for those of us who, by grace, have been saved and belong to Jesus, I think is this question. What kind of friend am I? Are you this kind of friend that we've talked about here? Are you that kind of friend that, that others thrive spiritually? See, so, so, some friends, we, just, we, we can help each other thrive socially. See, it's God's idea. This is God's idea of relations. Ecclesiastes just doesn't give us some good social tips, some, some good ideas for self-preservation. Ultimately, this points us forward to God's intentions in Christ. It points us forward to his purposes as he builds his church, as he grows his people, as he, as he creates a gospel community in Pasadena, California, a, a, a community that, that comes together and, and, and causes people to go, wow, I, I've never seen a friendship like that before. We know that relationships can be dangerous, don't we? We know that they're difficult, and oftentimes they're messy. <laughs> it's true that we can idolize friends. We can idolize relationships. And it's true that friends don't always act like friends. Remember, we are all sinners. Your friend is a sinner, and you are a sinner, and we're not in heaven yet. But we can look at the preacher's words here from this side of the cross and see how God has redeemed our relationships, giving them a new and profound meaning. A new, think about that for a moment, a new and profound meaning. When the gospel takes hold of your heart, it transforms everything, including the way you view friendships. And God does that as a way to accomplish his purposes in, in 
you and me and in one another. And listen, when we see this, when we see this as God's design, when we see the goodness that comes from this, it gives us a freedom to embrace the relationships that God has given us. He created us for these kind of relationships. Christ died so that we can have these kind of relationships as a prelude to what heaven will be like. I often wonder what my life would have looked like had I not had the gospel-centered relationships that God graciously put me in. I think, but for the grace of God, the Savior of the sinner, our Lord, the one who we have sinned against so greatly, but he is much more greater than our sin. I pray that you would bring encouragement and comfort through your spirit, I pray that you would bring conviction where that is appropriate. And I pray that you would use these words from this wise preacher of old to build this community together. Friends who come from different walks, who have different vocations, who have different hobbies, different preferences, different experiences, but you have bound them together with the cross of Jesus Christ. You have bound them together with your Son, who is sufficient for their justification, who is sufficient for their sanctification, and who promises to walk with each one of us day by day and to use to use each other in one another's lives Lord this is your word it is not merely a practical guide it points us to our only hope and so we now look to you and we sing we sing because of you we sing for you and we sing together 